What's up? I'm John Mediana, the host and founder of the Divine Hustle podcast. And if you're tuning in for the first time, this is the place where faith and strategy collide. It's our mission and duty to help churches all over the globe find clarity and effectively communicate their message in a digital noisy world. So what I've learned in my creative journey is that you're either surrounded by a dream killer or a dream maker. When I finished high school and wanted to pursue filmmaking and photography, I was just about to attend art school in Santa Monica and I had two close friends of mine tell me nearly around the same time that I should quit, that I'm not even good enough. They also told me that I wouldn't do well in that field anyway. They didn't really stick around for that long. I didn't let that stop me from finding fulfillment and doing what I love to do, which was creating. I can't imagine what my life would would look like if I had listened to them, and I'm so glad that I didn't have to find out. So on today's podcast, I have a special guest who wrote a book on dream makers. It's literally called dream makers you might know them and you probably don't even know it but if you ever watch the film on disney plus called the rookie with dennis quaid well this movie is based on his life lean into this podcast because you're gonna want to hear an incredible conversation with this legend about his journey of conquering dream killers and what it takes to lead a team to victory i want you to meet the real life rookie jim morris this is the divine hustle podcast where we're obsessed with helping churches clarify and communicate their message to reach more people in this digital noisy world this is the place where faith and strategy collide to create the greatest impact with your message welcome to the show show glad to have you on the divine hustle podcast jim so so thankful that you're here. Super honored that you're joining with us. I'm glad to be here, John. I I know like this is uh like this is weird because we're not like really in person, but technology we're super thankful for that we're able to jump on a, a call and and really just connect. Um, man, we're so honored to have you. And if you guys don't know Jim, he is a legend. If you've been watching Disney Plus, then you would probably seen like the rookie you've probably seen um it's with dennis quaid and this story is based upon our guest jim the rookie morris and we're really stoked because man there's so much in your life in your journey that has happened that is really unexplainable but also just amazing you are a legend in baseball for a couple reasons i mean the fact that you are a lot older than a lot of the players right um you're a left-handed pitcher like that that's a lot different and also that the fact that um your whole journey to the mlb was was based upon the challenge that your students made with you while you were teaching and coaching so that's really interesting to 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 me and a lot of our audience i really wanted to dive into this but i just want to see how you're doing and and obviously today looks a little bit different than a couple months ago right yeah Big so, time different. Right. So how are you doing, Jim? Oh, we're doing good. There was a point in time when my wife and I looked at each other and we're like, oh, do we bake cookies or do we start working out? <laughs> and so what we figured out was we would work out so we could bake cookies. There you go. <laughs> win in both worlds. There you go. There That's you like go. a win-win situation. Um, so I, I want to dive in because we have a lot to learn from you about teamwork, leadership, and a lot of like the life lessons that that you've been through and if you can i know a lot of us has seen the movie but for those who haven't which you'd probably be living under rock if you haven't seen the rookie but for those that haven't go ahead and just pause this podcast right now go watch it come back to this podcast because it's just an amazing film it's an amazing piece of of cinema but there that is your life you know and sometimes like movies will portray like life and and hollywood it up and i hope today we could kind of like talk about what's real and what wasn't real or what what was a real story but can you kind of give us a brief story of your journey in like a nutshell so that people are really familiar with you're asking a motivational speaker to be short and concise <laughs> come on john <laughs> I know, I know. what am i thinking short meaning two hours or less <laughs> <laughs> so very highly sought after in high school um, my grandfather was very sick. I want to stay close to home. Um, I went to Ranger Junior College for a semester. I did really well. I got 
classes that I could pass and I played baseball and I spent time with my grandparents on the weekends. But after he passed away, uh, the barrier between my father and myself was now gone and that needed to be separated as far as I could get it because, you know, the verbal and physical abuse every day and bruises go away. The words, they stick with you. And so you can get told you're stupid in so many ways and sooner or later, you're going to start to believe it. Yeah. And neither live up to or down to expectation, but, Early in my life, everywhere except on a ball field, it was down to. And that was my childhood was with him and moving constantly and being the new kid and being skinny. And and there are so many messages that are going to come out of this or if you hear me speak or in the book, but well, there is something for everybody and it's just life. And everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. Yeah. And to be able to tell mine and have Disney tell it so well and keep it true to their word was amazing because so many studios went, hey, we could throw this in here. And hey, we could throw this in there. And hey, what about this? And I'm like, wow, you guys even have any concept of what's going on here? And so we went into Disney and walking across the Disney grounds, my agent asked me what I want. I tell him and we get into Michael Eisner's office at Disney. And he basically repeats what I had said out in the parking lot. And I'm like, they are powerful. They have microphones everywhere. And, <laughs> but I was sold with Disney before we ever walked out of the office. Wow. Wow. That, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, for you to stay the path of like, I want to stay true to this story, to my story, because it, it's my story. And you want it to be told in that way. And you had all these other studios offering to do a lot of takes on your story and changing it up. How, how did you get approached about going forward to do the movie? Actually in AAA, it started. So I got in the big leagues from three months after high school, I was in the big leagues. Two months after high school, I'm in AAA in Durham, North Carolina. And this guy calls me and it was my roommate from minor league ball back in the early eighties. Wow. And so now I'm surprised to learn that we are not classic music anymore. We are actually oldies. But he and I were roommates. He had gotten into Hollywood and got into producing films. Michael Eisner was his friend. They worked out during lunch hours and they would talk about things. They saw me on an interview on TV and bing, bang, boom. He starts calling me in AAA. He's like, hey, we want to make a movie. And <laughs> Most of this is background noise for me, right? Because I'm getting to be a kid again. I'm doing what my kids push me to do. They're paying attention at home over the internet and newspaper articles. And I'm old and this isn't going to work. I should be getting out of baseball. Yeah. And Mark calls me and he goes, we want to make a movie about you. And I said, oh, about the fat old guy who had nine surgeries and should be retiring. You're not making a comedy about me. And <laughs> And I hung up on him like three times. And finally, I called my agent, Steve, and I go, dude, make him go away. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And then when I get called up the big leagues, I find out how big a big shot he is. And I'm like, oh, I guess you were serious. <laughs> and, but it, it was cool. I got to go on the ER set and meet Noah Wiley and all kinds of people. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. What a crazy almost like story of how that happened because obviously if anyone would come up to you and be like, Hey, I want to do a, a movie about you. And the way you see yourself is like, who would want to do a movie about me? You know? Right. And, and it was just funny because you had mentioned the way you got into it was thinking that you're just going to show up to a tryout and you're just going to make yourself, you know, make fun of yourself basically and go home, you know? So can you talk a little bit about that story specifically about how you were coaching these kids and that there's this one powerful inspirational moment in that movie. That's probably one of my favorite parts is when you're, when Dennis Quaid was talking to those students and can you, can you dive into that a little bit? Yeah, it's actually funny. That's your question because that was something that I had been thinking of since we had filmed the movie, because this was a, when we were filming it outside of Austin, there was a break in the action and Dennis comes over to me and he goes, okay, we're getting to the bet. What would you tell these kids? And I tell him exactly pretty much what I said, or I could remember I said, and he's like, okay. And he didn't write anything down. I thought he doesn't remember none of this. And they went back and they're like action and almost word for word. He says it. And I'm like, wow. Oh, you're an actor. 
But basically what I had said was just a repeat of the things that my grandfather had said. You know, the moments before I'm standing on home plate saying a prayer, what can I do to help these kids? How, I can, how can I push them? How can I get them to open their ears and open their eyes to see what's out there and hear what's coming? How can we do this? And the answer was, give them the teaching that my grandparents gave me from 15 to 18. Start talking about hopes and dreams and goals. And I said, you guys got to go out and live life. You can't let life live you. Don't let somebody else dictate to you what you're going to do with yours. And a little back and forth, they start to become engaged. They're smiling. They're chatting. And my catcher looks at me and goes, what about your dreams? I said, my dream is for you guys to be successful. Graduate from high school. Do great on the sports field. Go to college. See what's out there. And then make up your own mind on where it is you want to be and what it is you want to do. And he wow. goes, we knew that. We love you too, but we think you still want to play. And I'm like, are you, I, I said, I look like a baseball scout, Joel. I, I eat flour tortillas that your moms make for me every time we get on a school bus. That is not a athlete's diet. I said, I've had nine surgeries. The doctor said, you'll never, ever pitch again. This is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. And he goes, no, really. When you throw us batting practice, we can't hit. And I'm going, because you can't hit, dude. <laughs> <laughs> He starts laughing. He goes, I know that. He goes, but you still have it. And I'm like, in my mind, what is spinning is you never had it to begin with. Wow. You failed on so many different levels when you were young and you were supposed to be talented. Yeah. That this is a thought, but it's not like it's a fleeting thought. It's just going to go through my mind and disappear. It's not going to be something you actually wow. put into action and live out. And, but I've learned this over the years. God speaks through a variety of ways. and. When I push those kids, they push back. And yeah. They won, I win. And the other part about that question you were asking, when he came over, and for me, it was the kids in left field when I talked to them. In the movie, they were in the bleachers a little bit left of there so that the cameras would sure. fit better. Yeah. But in your IT nerdness, okay? <laughs> yeah. It took us 13 hours to film that scene one day. Wow. Because the wind was blowing so hard. They had to have so many retakes and kept moving the cameras and moving the benches because the sun kept moving. And in the movie, I remember watching it and going, I can't even tell there's a breeze. <laughs> and it I was know. just amazing. Well, you watch it. It's, it's clear as day, like what Dennis yeah. was saying. And to hear that you're saying that there was a big, like a massive breeze, it's kind of like, no way. Like, no way. But again, like technology nowadays, you know, being a geek and all, I'm like, those are really expensive microphones for sure. <laughs> yeah, they were I'm telling me six figures. Wow. Six figures. Yeah, that's, that's about accurate. So, it's, it's so um, what I picked up from, from that story, and I really wanted to get into it a little bit, is that your response to the students, where did you learn how to think or say that? You know, um, at that moment, in that time, that response was just like, were you trained to think like that? Or was it, do you feel like it was like a spirit led? Like what, what, what made you decide to, to respond in that way? That response came for me in a way in which I would love to tell you that I have every concept down and I remember everything that happened because that is how I wanted it to be. And all I can remember are the words coming into my head and saying them. Wow. And, you know, at 20, 28, they have a surgery, 85% of your deltoid gone. You'll never pitch again. I pitch. I push a group of kids who nobody believed in. Wow. Those kids win. They push me back into a dream I'd failed at so many times. Yeah. God was speaking through all of us and we were helping each other grow. And it was just amazing that I got to the big leagues after everybody, including medical experts, were wrong, wow. I got there by a group of high school kids. <laughs> that, that just blows my mind. That's what makes your story so inspiring and incredible, especially like to believers, you know, because this didn't happen in a church. Like you're hanging out on the field with your team, you know, like that was a, a God moment in your everyday normal walk, like your life, which is so, it's like an ins in inspiring and very encouraging to know because I don't know about you, but a lot of believers, Christians out there, 
they think things have to happen in a certain way and they have an expectation of something going a certain way and it, it just life just doesn't really work like that most of the time you know no and i'll tell you to be honest with you john if i would have gotten my dream at 19 when i was young and talented i would not have respected the game wow itself like i did when i was 35 having been through everything else i went through right so can you speak into how important it is to to rely and lean on god's timing I mean, <laughs> like that's, that's what I'm hearing is like, yeah. even if you had that opportunity, you had to go through a lot of, of challenges and a lot of things to shape you as a person, as a human being through that time. Yeah. I think that for me at 19, 20, 21, and when I'd have elbow surgery or something, the doctor would say, take a year off. I'd take eight weeks off and start throwing again. Cause I knew better than the doctor who had been to school for 20 years Wow. and that kind of immaturity. And you take that and you look back and if God would have given me that big a gift that early, I'd have run all over it Wow! and been out of the game quickly. Instead, I ended up doing it my way and getting out of the game quickly and <laughs> going back to college, getting a degree. And you see, I was being led into this my every step of the way because of my father and who he was and how he brought me up. And then to have my grandparents step in and go the polar opposite and teach me everything great. Yeah. Then to college. And then I, after high school and college football and being screamed at and yelled at and then screamed at and yelled at at home, I knew that if I ever worked with kids, it was going to be, I was going to talk to them and not down to them and yeah. not talk at them because that's ridiculous but to have a conversation because we're going to learn this way. If I scream and curse you, all you're going to do is it's going to go in one ear and out the other, yeah. and you're not going to learn anything. You're going to resent me. I'm going to be mad because you're not doing what I want you to do. Right. But I don't know any way better. It's, it's like my high school coach and we get hurt in high school. We're on the ground. He'd look at you and go, you hurt or you injured? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a bit of everything. So yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, touched on this, but growing up with that mentality of you're not good enough, you're like, I know a lot of people struggling with that. I ha I struggled with that growing up, you know, being raised in a Christian home, but I was raised in a in an Asian home, so every expectation was for me to go to college, get a degree, and become like a nurse, right, or or in the medical field or something with the government, you know, and I felt like. I, I was going to different, like God had me on a different direction and a different journey. And like, I always had people in my life telling me, you can't do that. You got, you're, you're supposed to do this. This is what you're, you need to do. So a lot of people were dictating where my life was going. How, how did you, what was the turning point for you from feeling and, and, and hearing those things growing up? But what, what was the part of your life? When was that where, when you're like, you know what? I'm not going to listen anymore. I need, to, I need to make a change. I need to do something about this. There was a point in time when I was a kid and I couldn't change because that was, that was my setting. That was my environment. But for a lot of people out there, if you're going through this or if you know you're putting your kids through this or your grandkids are in a situation you know you need to get them out of, I once had a father and, you know, that's Disney's G-rated version. That's the change in movie in real life. And in real life, it was a lot worse. And he looked at me one day when he's holding my little brother and my mom walked out in the kitchen. He goes, this is the one we wanted. We never wanted you. Wow. And from that point on, sports became my getaway. I didn't care about school. He told me I was stupid. So why care? And in math, he was really good. Like my grandmother could do trig in her head. And he kind of got that same wow. magic with him. But me, I know God said, you're going to hold the door on this one. And I didn't get the math <laughs> thing. And he would look at me and make me feel so bad about my math skills. And so everywhere we moved, I'm already losing ground because we're moving to different schools and they're on different things. And I would get somewhere else and there are new concepts. And so that just fit in with the argument, you're stupid. Why are you even trying? And wow. so I, never, I, I just quit trying. I did well enough to get on the sports field because wow. I could disappear in between those lines. Yeah. That's, that was sports for me. It's music for others. It's acting for others. It's different for everybody because everybody's got their own story. Yeah. Wow. That, 
I mean, I know a lot of people might be feeling in that space of like, I just need to get by. I, I just want to be under the radar. I'm just, you know, I'm not that person. I'm not like my brother. I'm not like my sister. I'm not like the person that, that has been compared, uh, we've been comparing to f- for all our lives. Yeah. So it, it's just incredible to see someone that has overcome that and went to the other side of that and has done inc- like just incredible and inspired so many people because during that time, I'm sure like many others, you didn't feel greatness. You didn't feel like your life was on a path to greatness or that you were going to accomplish a lot of anything. Like, how was that mentality? Like while you were in it, knowing what you know, now looking back it, during those times, obviously in, in shock of what was accomplished and what you did, but being feeling stuck in that moment during that time, like, what was that like? I was in the middle of a full speed picture going in slow motion. And I couldn't get out of the way of anybody. And when you can't get out of the way of anybody, what that's really telling you is you can't get out of the way of yourself. Wow. And I had convinced myself so much that with the breaks, with the surgeries and all, you're out of minor league ball, you go back to college, you leave the country and punting and kicking, you're going to get drafted. Oh, you don't get drafted. And then you find out after the baseball movie comes out 12 years later that you were going to get drafted. You just didn't make a phone call back because you didn't get the message. <laughs> and then you look back at your life and go, wow, if I, if I would have got that gift, I don't have the gift that I'm living right now. Yeah. And what we think is big, God sees is infinitesimal. <laughs> and he's going to come out ahead anyway. Why fight it? Yeah. And I've learned this and I can share this with your listeners. I'm 56. So if you're younger, take this into He's not going to tell you the plan, <laughs> but it's think, our job. It's our job to go out and live the plan. I think you need to say that one more time for those in the back. <laughs> God is not going to give us the plan, man. Yeah. He wants us to work the plan, but he will give us the answer before he gives us the plan. Wow. And so we need to keep working towards that goal. That's, that's incredible. What, what great just words for us to all kind of chew on um, talking about God and, and, you know, faith and all that. I, um, there's a specific chapter in your book called powered by faith. And you mentioned that you grew up in church, but it wasn't really your family's way of life. Um, but when you moved to, to Brownwood, it was your grandparents that instilled their faith in, um, in you by the way that they lived their life. They're not like the typical judgmental religious type of people um, that a lot of us are familiar with in today's world. What were the things that, that drew you to that and made you decide to follow like in their footsteps after being raised and, you know, having being told that you're not good enough and, and, you know, all these things that your, your dad instilled and, and, and kind of suppressed in you. Yeah. What, what was that? Number one, they taught me how to give back. And this was at a time when you said was religious and judgmental and, oh, she has pantsuit on. She doesn't have a dress on. <laughs> and people listening are going to be going, what? A what on? <laughs> and, but men wore suits, women wore long skirts, and that's how it was. Wow. And the first time my grandmother wore a pantsuit, she got talked about all week. And wow. you know what? She didn't care. Yeah. Because they always had this deal where you take the high road. And no matter what anybody dishes to you, you go one step above and beyond what is thought of you. And you, you live that plan out and you stay above the fray. And when you do that, you don't hear all the noise off to the side. Wow. And so my grandparents gave me that. And, but also just the way he treated people, my grandfather, he had this charismatic personality where mm. he could be talking like you are. Yeah. Not loud, not soft just conversation. And as soon as he starts speaking, no matter who else is talking in the room, you're, you're on, on him. Wow. Because that's who he was. He just had this presence about him. And I wanted to be like that. Yeah, that's a gift. And it's, it's awesome because I found out only a couple of years ago while we were writing the book that he was actually 
a Toastmaster. He he was a public speaker like me. And wow, and it so skipped the, a generation. <laughs> yeah, you talk about looking back, and it's just it's pretty cool the things you find out. But my grandparents taught me about grace, compassion, and they taught me about forgiveness. Wow. And I've had to learn forgiveness over and over and over, and we all do because I might forgive myself or forgive somebody else for something, but I might have to do it again in 10 minutes. Yeah. Because the thoughts in my head are taking me back to that thought and I need to keep forgiving whoever because I'm forgiving them for me. I'm not forgiving them for them. I'm doing this to set them free in my mind. Yeah. And so that's what my grandparents taught me. And that's what drew me to those people. But then you go through your late teens and your early twenties and, we know everything and we're back on the rocky road and we're going to do things our way and we're not going to listen to anybody. And then God comes knocking when you turn 35 and you have kids of your own, you <laughs> teach kids and goes, Hey, that's enough stuff about you. Wow. Uh, why don't you try us? And you know, it was a me concept all the way through. And I go back to that part on the bus where I'm watching those kids celebrate something, not even they thought they could do. And it hit me at 35, sitting there, my grandparents' lessons taught me, it's not about me, it's about we. What can we do? What can we accomplish? It's about teamwork. And everybody on that team, whether you're on the bench, whether you're keeping score, whether you're the scorekeeper, and I'm not only talking about baseball listeners, this applies to everything in life, it's teamwork. And we represent not only ourselves, but the other parts of the team, the field, the school, the city the state, we represent a whole lot more than ourselves. And when you're out there throwing adjectives around and somebody from your church is back there watching you behave in a different way than you act in church. Yeah. That'll get your attention. Wow. That's so true. It's all about how we, how we live, you know, live, live out from our day to day. And man, I I believe that your, your grandparents legacies is continuing to be lived out, not only through, you but everyone that you impact everyone that you have um that you are in communication with every single day and like it's just incredible because what a great way to honor them and also just continue their legacy and also share reality like truth to this world especially right now you know is love your neighbor like yourself you know take care of like just be a, a kind human being. I think that that's something that we need more. Your message and your journey and, and your life is something that we need more now than ever. You know, I absolutely believe that. And I, I believe that, that there's so much to learn from that, especially in, in the you know, state that we live in now and, and, and the culture that we live in now and even in, in the church culture as well. It's like, wow, we got to really go back to our roots and, and you know, dig deep inside and, and just you know, love God and love people. I know um, when I made it, I know when I made a turn towards the more Jesus centered church was when I was sitting in a church and I will not say which one or what denomination it is, but you'll get it right away as far as the judgment and the eyes. And it was where this group of women went who were in a home because they had, they were unwed mothers and they had been, Uh, raped or physically beaten and they'd gotten out of bad relationships and the kids would cry. They would sit up at the front right part of the church. And if the kids cried, the women across the church would just stare and glare eyes through the women. And we happened to come in late one day and we sat there and while they're glaring, my wife is grabbing a baby and we're sitting there playing with babies the whole service. And I learned more from that service than I did anybody speaking to me. Wow. And just, we need to get away from, well, that's what they're doing. And I don't believe in that. Who cares? Why don't we just get along? If we got along, we wouldn't have to fight. And we wouldn't have to be as ugly as humanly possible to prove our point that is probably wrong to begin with. (laughs) Right? It's like common common sense, you know, but we catch ourselves... In these conversations, I think a lot um, because of up like people's upbringings and them being stuck in their thought and their 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 mindset that yet, you, you know, you were talking about earlier like these dream killers, right? And that mindset: Are you going to be a dream killer? Or are you going to be a dream maker? And we've 
I, I honestly have learned so much from dream killers, right? Like they've taught me so much and like being a student in that classroom of seeing how they, they respond to life. How do they respond to challenges? How it, it taught, it taught me what not to be. And I, I like challenged me to be the opposite of that. I want to be more loving, more kind, more positive. I want to speak more life, you know? So thank you dream killers for, <laughs> you know, we should Actually, start. Yeah. We should start a campaign called hashtag thank you dream killers. Absolutely. I, I spent my whole life trying to prove my father wrong and later found out that was not the way to do it. Yeah. I just needed to be happy with myself and who I was. But I learned to have such a drive in me at a young age because he would find something negative about every single thing I did. Wow. But I knew on the field with everybody congratulating me, stuff, that would be such an adrenaline rush. And then as soon as you walk off the field, wham, there's the wall and telling you how ugly and negative you were and how bad you did it. Yeah. And it was God uses bad situations to bring good. And yeah. he used those ugly negative situations in me to be able to look at other people and go, they've been through that and they need to be lifted up. We need to lift people up. We need to quit tearing everybody down. We yeah. quit, we need to quit being crazy is what we need to do. We just <laughs> need right. to be human. And, and since we're at the top of the food chain getting taken down by something we can't even see, mm. why don't we just chill out because worrying is not going to get us anywhere. That's right. Especially during these days, um, as we are in COVID-19 and being in lockdown, you know, I don't know about you, but I've been to a few grocery stores and I'm just like, wow, it is wild out here. <laughs> yeah. Shauna sneezed one day at our local grocer, H-E-B, that's our Texas grocer. Mm. And I thought people were going to throw out their cervical spine trying to spin around and see who it was. I mean, it was just <laughs> like, you're trying to do something really bad. And right. Basically, hey, it's, it's spring. We have allergies. Come on. Allergy season, you know, and it's, it kind of like worries me because it's like, what is our state of like our, our nation and our culture going to look like post COVID, you know, like just someone sneezing or coughing triggers people and like, wow. And they cover, you know, it's like, oh, come on. Like it's, that's like a normal thing, you know? Yeah. I don't know how bad it, how bad it really is or anything like that. I just know that we shouldn't be throwing headlines through everywhere, trying to worry everybody when it right. changes every 30 seconds. Right. So I want to go back to this book. Um, and, and in your book, there's a quote from your grandparents and I had mentioned it earlier on, but when they were confronted with challenges, they had a saying and it's, it goes like this, it's our life and God's in charge. That is so contrary to like what the world says today. Like a lot of the world is like, wait a minute, I know it's my life. I can do what I want with it. You know, that's been uh, our culture, at least in the millennials, right? Me being a millennial, I'm kind of embarrassed, but it's okay. I'm an older millennial. So like I'm right at that threshold. So, <laughs> I mean, my parents were a lot older than me, right? So my dad just turned, he's turning 83 in July. So they raised me very old fashioned and, you know, uh, taught me because of my Christian upbringing to just love people and, and just be kind and all that. You know, and I started to understand that as I got older. But to in today's world, especially with young younger folks, it's like it, it they're thinking it's my life. I could do what I want with it. W what's the conversation that you would have with someone that like they're just stuck in that mindset and almost like if you were their coach, what would you tell them? Pick out a dream, plan that dream, grow the heart to work towards that dream, and realize that every time that you encounter a failure you're one step closer to being where it is you want to be mm. and god knows the ending and we as believers know the ending it's our job to get it from point a to point b he's already taken care of the beginning and the end yeah he's also watching us as we go through so really you do the best you can with what you have and you shoot for the goals and you don't go i don't want to wake up one day and go what if i'm going to go out and try it yeah just go do it because if you know the answer, the dream you start chasing may not be the one you end up loving the most, but you got to try for something. God did not say, you sit still from birth until death and I'll take care of you and don't worry about it. Your plans are Yeah. He wants us to go out and live. Yeah. As you're going out and, and living, like God absolutely called us to do that. For those that aren't in tune saying like, you know what, I, 
I don't care what God wants out of me. Like even in the faith, right? A lot of us are like, I believe in God, but I'm still going to do what I want to do, you know, and I want to, you know what I mean? So it's like, where's the fine line between your dream and God's dream for your life? And how do you walk that out? John, you know me now. Yeah. And I don't try to hedge the bushes much. I try to go straight for it. Yeah. We give up trying because we don't believe in ourselves that God has our back. When we lose that faith, we think, I'll just make up for that by being in control, which we never have anyway. Right. It's either light or dark, and we're either being controlled by one or that one's controlling this and or the other one. And we don't want the other one. And let's take my life. I don't make fun of anybody else. I don't point fingers. I don't judge, but I'll judge me. High school, great athlete, minor leagues, failed out surgeries, school, college, teaching, coaching, major league baseball movie, book, public speaker. And then through all that, and people don't ask me, why'd you quit playing? I quit playing because in five days, I quit being able to judge the ball thrown back at me. I could still throw hard. I just couldn't judge back at me. Wow. And so I quit because I don't want some guy hitting it back at me as hard as I throw. I can't get out of the way. Right. But over the course of the next 10 or 15 years, I have 50 surgeries. And they're all mostly on nerves or internally down the central nervous system. Eventually, they do a brain scan. It takes us 15 years to get a Parkinson's diagnosis that it started with everything else. And then we go through that and the ugliness of being on the opiates and that not working. So you're still in pain. And people who go, I have a migraine. I'm not making fun of you. But when you have a migraine for three hours, don't try to compare a cluster headache of somebody who's had one for six months. Wow. Yeah. And, and then I would get a two-day break, and then the headache would start over. And it was just, a, well, that's a sign of Parkinson's. And then I started limping, and well, that's a sign of Parkinson's. Yeah. And so they give me the meds for it. I take them. They fail. I'm still taking the opiates because I'm still having surgeries. That doesn't work. You know what? I'll add vodka. We'll see how that works. Wow. And that takes me down a road to where... I had a doctor prescribe me two medications they should not put together. I'm drinking vodka on the side. I'm not telling the doctor, of course, because I'm in control. I'm doing what I want to do. And so I'm taking this. I'm taking opiates, benzodiazepines, and vodka. And I do not remember Christmas of 2016. When you go, wow, you missed a day? No, I, I I missed from like the 20th through the 27th. Wow. And when I found out where I was on the 27th, I was in rehab. And so if you think we're in control, we're not in control of nothing. I go through the rehab. I have no illnesses whatsoever from coming off a drug. It's not ugly, but my girls from church have been praying for me. And John, you don't know this already because we talk a lot. But my girls from church are aged from 50 to 90, but they don't want to be called women. They want to be called girls because that makes them feel good. (laughs) And so they're my girls and they pray for me a lot. And they're praying for me through the surgeries and they're praying for me through the headaches and they're praying for me through the Parkinson's and they're praying for me when my mom gives me a cane because I can't walk. Wow. Three years ago. And I'll get to this in a minute. Remind me to come back to that. Yeah. And I end up in rehab and I end up with a counselor who loves baseball has been to every major league baseball team on the planet, loves me, wants to talk about baseball and talk about anything. Then he looks at me and goes, why are you here? And I said, because I thought I was being invisible. If, if the doctor said I was going to die, I guess I was going to die. Chronic illness, autoimmune diseases, those are horrible. They're terrible. Add on that, I've had 50 surgeries. I've been on opiates for 20 years. And why not throw in a, a fifth of vodka every three days and we'll just be good? And he goes, wow. He goes, well, where was Jesus at this time? And I said, he's sitting next to me, man. He's my co-pilot. And he looked me dead in the eye and he goes, if you have Jesus in your car, why is he the co-pilot? Wow. Woo. And it was like, snap. <laughs> wow. And from that moment on, I was done. I flipped the switch. It was over. It was, I was not going to let the pain beat me. I was not going to come into agreement with all the things that my parents and my grandparents and their parents did because it was back in the day when you had to work, 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 work. So you get off and drink, 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 drink. We're not going to go down that road. We're not going to be an alcoholic. We're not going to be addicted to opiates. And God said, you're going to start helping other people while you're here. You've taken 
This was the first time in my life, John, that I've ever stopped long enough to do an inventory on me. Wow. And all these years, I've never had the opportunity. I've been chasing a dream, being married, failing at that, having kids, being great at that, coaching kids, being really good at that, to back to baseball. And, and never long enough to go, hey, where are you right now? And just go step by step and look back and see what the plan should be. I was never able to stop. Wow. And so when I did, it was in there. And that's the second week there. I started helping other people to the point where I was eventually talking to staff and helping them with their problems because they want to know what the motivational speaker is going to say to people. Yeah. And God put me there. And I don't know who he had me save, but it was somebody. Yeah. Just like my wife saved me. I saved somebody else. And that is our job as Christians. That's incredible. Like that, that totally flips the whole mindset upside down. That, that question of, I, I haven't, when's the last time I evaluated myself? I think a lot of people are in that mindset that have never thought about even doing a self audit. You know, yeah. that you're going through life and you're riding the momentum and the waves. One day you wake up and you're like, how did I get here? And the answer is gradually, right? Because you never stop to ask yourself, how am I doing? Never stop to ask yourself, like, <laughs> internally, where am I at, right? So right. I, I think that's a huge challenge for a lot of our listeners, you know, challenge yourself, ask yourself that question, where are you at? I'm so inspired by that, super encouraged. I know where we've been going for a long time. I want to get back to that Kane story. You had mentioned to come back to, and I also want to get to the questions that uh, some of our, our listeners have. So, so my mom shows up one day, I'm dragging my left leg horribly. And the neurologist says, Oh, it's Parkinson's. Don't worry about it. I get the cane from my mom. I start walking first to the end of the driveway and back, then down the road and back, then around the block and back, and then, you know, almost a mile and back. And in the meantime, I'm going to my, neurosurgeon and going man my foot and they're saying it's parkinson's and i don't know what's going on but something's wrong and this is not right and i'm like i'm dragging my leg and he watched me walk and had me do certain things and then he goes we're gonna do an mri and i was like of my my lumbars right because i can't move my leg and he goes nope or your neck and i'm like why would my neck have anything to do with my leg <laughs> and he goes we're gonna do it and they did it and it came back and I had severe cervical myelopathy. So the spinal fluid couldn't move where it was supposed to because bone was pinching in from both wow. ways so bad that it was choked off. And so it's causing pain and it's causing headaches and it's causing me to drag my leg. I have the surgery. I wake up. An hour after I wake up, I'm walking down the hall. Over the course of the next six months, my girls are praying for me. I'm continuing to exercise because God wants us to be in motion and yeah. be active. And so I'm, I'm doing what I think I'm led to do. And I'm doing things right. And I'm not drinking. And there's no pain pills. And here we go. And what are we going to do? And over the course of time, I started turning down the unit in my chest that goes to my brain that gives it electricity. So the dopamine equals out. And my wife knows about it. Small increments here, there, here, there. There's one day she had a headache. And so she wanted to take a nap. I'm in the garage. I'm lifting weights. I'm listening to music. And all of a sudden, my music stops. And I'm like, man, Wi-Fi service is not working. And, and then, then all of a sudden, I hear these voices. And they're going, you're healed. You're healed. And I'm like, who's messing with me, man? Yeah. And I get up, I go look around the garage, I'm out there, my dog is with me, I know he's not talking to me, and if, yeah. if I think he is, I better get help. <laughs> and and it keeps going, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. And I'm like, I sit back down, I'm like, what is going on? Sean is not here, none of my friends are messing with me, Max is not even awake, nothing's yeah. messing with him. And it goes down to this one voice, and it was this deep, earthly voice, and it said, you are healed. Wow. And I walk back out of the garage and there are feathers everywhere. And I'm like, Ooh, I just got chills. What does that mean? See, but what I haven't told people is that the previous two nights we had a tin roof and I heard scratching 
two nights in a row. And I'm like, what is going on? Same time, 3 a.m., three mornings in a row. And then on that day, all those feathers, I go in the house, I go to tell Shauna. Before I tell her, I turn the DBS unit completely off, jumping like 0.6 on the parameter of like two, four, six, eight, one. Yeah. Eventually, uh, to start off with, I was about four and a half, and now I'm down to 0.6. And I just thought, I've been going like point, 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 and now I'm like yeah. point six. Eh, turn it off because I know better. <laughs> and I closed my eyes. I turned a circle, and I didn't stumble, and I kept my balance. And my wife came in, and she said, what are you doing? And I said, watch this. And I did it again. And she goes, what are you doing? And I said, I turned the unit off. And she flipped. Whew. And she goes, what is going on? I told her the story. And I go, let's go look at the feathers. I'll show you. Yeah. We go back outside. It has not been 10 minutes. There is not a feather anywhere. What? All gone. Wow. And so that's why there's a feather on the front cover because wow, God speaks to us in so many ways. It's just, are we willing to slow down enough to listen? Wow. That's incredible. That, that was just like one of the instances that you encountered, like legit encountered a spiritual supernatural moment, you know, and I don't want to give away too much about the book because I want people to read it. I, I want people to go literally right now, and pre-order your book, dreammakersbook.com. Yeah. So, man, Jimmy, thank you so much. We're going to go into some quick questions and then we'll wrap okay. up. And right. that, that honestly just filled, filled my heart to, to hear that story because how often do we hear stories like that nowadays? Like how often can we recall a memory or, or heard something of that, you know, to that supernatural like nature? Like that was all God and it was... That's oh, incredible. He's proved himself every step of the way. Yeah. I mean, just in incredible ways. And if we're willing to listen, he's there. Yeah. So go ahead and ask me questions, man. I know you awesome. So this one's uh, from DJ who's moderating this uh, live call. So your challenge to your high school baseball team is, is famous. Any interesting lessons can you draw from that season about teamwork, leadership, rising to the occasion or challenge? Yeah, it was the biggest thing was just teaching the kids. And it wasn't even about baseball the first year I got them. And I had to talk two kids into coming out for my team just so I could feel the team. This was about learning how to live. Wow. And I think baseball is such a great sport for that because it's a chess match. It's a game within a game. Yeah. And you're trying to think of moves up and down the road, two or three steps ahead in different directions and keeping an accurate depiction of everything that is on that chess board. Yeah. And so I'm teaching the kids, we're going to do this right. We're going to wear our uniforms right. We're going to turn our hats around right, John, because the bill goes to the front, John. There you go. And, but we're doing it, and we're going to do it right. We may, may not be good, but we're going to look good being bad. Yeah. And if they say we're bad, then we're bad. And we're not going to talk to the other team because that just riles them up. We're not going to talk to the umpires because we're never going to win that battle. This game coincides life. There are people we can't tell off because that's not the right thing to do. There wow. are people we shouldn't talk to because anything that comes out is going to be ugly. And the only thing we're going to say to each other is we're going to build each other up because nobody's trying to make a mistake. We're not trying to walk a guy. We're not trying to hit a guy. We're not trying to give up a home run. We're trying to play the game of baseball and win. And all these individual positions is as team and we're going to win as a team. If we win as a team, we've done it. If we lose, it's as a team. We did it. We earned it. Wear it. Love that. What a phenomenal answer. Um, our next question is, uh, coaches are always looking for ways to inspire their teams. Teams that often win are talked about being special or they gelled well. What advice do you have for those leadership roles to help cultivate that specialness? You have to develop a chemistry within a team. And if you're working with kids, and hopefully you do this already, we are talking to the players. We're not yelling at the players. We're not talking down to the players. We are proving our point by speaking to them like they are human beings and not pieces of plastic that are just going to go do what we want to on an army field that we made when we were a kid. Yeah. These are real human beings. And my grandfather had this saying, don't treat anybody 
any differently than you would have your grandmother treated. Yeah. And to me, that and just that entails being nice. And we can be authoritative, but we can still be nice. And yeah. we can voice our views, but we can still do it positively. And we've just got to take the anger and the sting out of that voice. Because yeah, we, we can speak so much louder talking like this than we can screaming. That's awesome. This next question is a really, really great question. It's by Mike. I don't know how to say his last name. Osir. Um, but how did, how did you have the courage to do it at that age? Players were half your age. How did you manage to put the nerves and the doubters or the doubters saying that you can't do this? Basically, all the negative talk, both exterior and interior, how did you overcome that and think that you could do it? Well, God has this innate ability to be able to pull the best out of us when we are fighting tooth and nail against it. And I made the bet. I went to the tryout. They told me I was doing good. I was like, this can't happen. I'm 35. I'm injured. The doctor said you can't do it. You have a new job at a bigger school. That's what you're trained for. That's what you should do. And still, there's that promise hanging over me that I made to a group of kids. And my grandfather had said, if you make a promise, you live up to it because your word is who you are. Wow. And so I go to the triad, I call my kids and for anybody, I don't care if you coach, you teach or you work in a great big office building with other people around you. This is important. Baseball is a game, but work is, is still something that we can make. We can have fun with. Yeah. Everything doesn't have to be so serious. Make it like a game. And when I'm, when I was teaching those kids, God was teaching me how to teach those kids. Wow. And in doing that, he was teaching me to teach myself and to have that belief in myself. And so if you're going to talk the talk, you better be willing to walk the walk. I never had my kids do anything that I wasn't going to do. I was going to do it with them. We're going to run sprints together. We're going to play together. We're going to hit together. We're doing this together because we're in this together. And how we look is a representation of all of us. Yeah. And so to go to the tryout, find out I'm doing good. And I tell my kids and I'm like, hey, they want me to come back. If I do good, they want me to sign a contract. And my kids are like, well, you got to do it. I'm like, <laughs> oh, and I go to the tryout expecting to fail. But what had happened was my coach at my new school was leaving my football position open because I was going to be a football coach and teach yeah. and work with special ed kids. And he kept it open as long as he could when he found out what I was doing during the summer my summer job playing minor league ball, he kept it open and he was like, I can't believe you're doing this dude. You're old. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and every step of the way, every time I should have failed being 35, having yeah. so much muscle out of my arm, going through the minors and saying the prayer, if you want me to do this, you got to give me a sign. I am, I am new at this. Let yeah. me know if this is what you want me to do because I'm trying to do what you're leading me into, but I don't know if that's the right thing to do. The right thing would happen at the right time. I would stay, I would play it. Eventually I get my dream living it out in front of my, my high school kids, my kids and my yeah. favorite ballpark in my favorite state. Boom. It's a movie. Dennis Quaid plays me. It's awesome. And we had a great time filming it, but I still feel like it didn't happen to me. Yeah. It happened to us. It yeah. happened to us and for us. And what a positive message. That's awesome. That kind of leads to our next question. And we have one last one and, and we're done. This question comes from Danielle and she's from Italy. How did you feel or what was it like to have a film completely dedicated to you? Surreal. Overwhelming. I wanted the right message to get out for the right people. I wanted people to know that this was a movie about kids who everybody counted out, who got a dream that nobody thought they could get. And this is about people who have failed the first time, maybe, and they've gone back and they've been afforded the position, hey, we get a second chance at this. Are we going to take it or are we going to let it pass by? And then taking it and then having it work out. And it speaks to those avenues. And that's, that's what I wanted the movie to be. And so Disney did a great job of depicting that. John Lee Hancock, the director, get a, did a good job of directing it. And Dennis B. Quaid became my friend. So... We learned a lot about each other and he did a great job. That's so awesome. Last question. And then we'll, we'll end this podcast. So what made you decide to write the book? Money. Duh. 
<laughs> they go, no, we, they're like, man, we want to write this story. If we don't, somebody else will, and we want it. And I'm just like, why would you want a story about this dude in West Texas who made a bet with his high school kids at 35 when he should have been retiring and he's getting back into it? Uh, same thing as a movie, man, you're not making a comedy. Let's not do this. Yeah. And, and let's not make fun of the fat old guy. And they're like, no, this is a story people want because this resonates with people overcoming obstacles and persevering yeah. through things. And I've never, ever looked at myself like that. I've the guy next door who you talk to, who, when people said, no, you can't, I found out, yeah, you can. Yeah. And it didn't matter what the doctor said. And it, it didn't matter what age said what mattered was you went out and tried and it was a group of 16 and 17 year old kids that pushed a 35 year old back into the dream wow so john you tell me dreams can't come true very proud of the movie yeah that's awesome jim thanks so much for for being on the podcast how how, how can we connect with you today how how can we get this book from you dream makers and yeah just tell us tell us how we can find you well, dude, you're my marketing team. Why don't you <laughs> tell people? Now, dreammakersbook.com, you go to it. Uh, you can, I think it's dreammakersbook.com forward right. slash signed. What is this called? Oh, signed the dash? Dash copy. Dash copy, and, yeah. And you can get a signed copy of the book. It comes out June 23rd. You can pre-order. You get those signed signatures. They'll, they'll come to you when the book comes out. But it's yeah. been amazing the opportunities that every everybody who's done a podcast with me is just like, wow, you've been through a lot. You know what? We all have. Have we have we taken the time to go, hey, I've been through a lot. Where do I go? Hey, wow. man, why not? You know, the the longest trip is the trip from standing to going to your knees. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks so much, Jimmy. And also follow him on Instagram and Facebook at Jimmy the Rookie Morris. Um, I want to leave you with this, and it's an excerpt from your book, if you don't mind. Um, but okay. I thought it was so powerful and definitely wanted to share that with our audience. And um, it goes like this I believe God gave us this platform to help others through difficult times, to offer hope and inspire people to preserve when times get so hard, you can't see how you can possibly take another step but god but and god. if you know your purpose keep at it if you don't know it yet ask god he will tell you he'll show you if you can't hear him get quiet be still let go of preconceived notions that he's an angry unreachable too big to notice you talk to him like a friend and you go on to say are you saying god speaks to you people often often ask Absolutely. We answer. Is it an audible voice? In other words, are you crazy? No, it's a word in our hearts, a thought, not our own, that feels right and true. It's unexplained event in our lives that leave us speechless, that we've experienced through our faith is, um, is that the impossible is possible, that God is good and is always with us. I absolutely love that. And I absolutely feel that is an appropriate way to, to, end our conversation and this podcast jimmy the rookie morris thank you so much for being on the show and please again i cannot tell you guys enough go to dreammakersbook.com backslash sign dash copy so you can get your signed copy and a special discount um, for the book pre-order it right away you guys and thank you again we'll talk to you soon in the next episode of divine hustle podcast thanks for hanging out till the end of the show if you enjoyed and got something out of today's message leave a review share this content and head over to divinehustle.com to join in on the conversation and be a part of the growing divine hustle community peace love and may god bless your hustle amen